0: Morning again. So we're looking at this series uh, just for a few weeks um, on the Psalms. Four weeks. It was originally called a taste of the Psalms, um, and then just as we evolved it, we just thought this this word "soul songs" just seemed to fit. Just seemed to fit really well. Um, it's a very familiar book, isn't it? We're all very familiar with the Psalms. Maybe some in particular. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. Psalm 8, the, about praising God, about his creation. Really familiar with them, but actually there's a lot of psalms in there. It's a very big book. It's the biggest in the Bible. And it's a song book. It's actually a collection of lyrics. Now, apparently, men don't sing. That's rubbish, isn't it? I can tell you that for a fact, because last week we were at a thing called The Gathering, and we were in a marquee with 2,000 guys singing their hearts out to Jesus. I've also been at a rugby match. And let me tell you, blokes can sing. There's something special about that collaborative singing. So I'm not, I I don't believe it when people say, no, I don't sing. I'm sorry, you do sing. Everyone sings the song. We were at the the, uh, One Love concert in Manchester a few weeks ago, remembering the the Manchester um, atrocity at the concert. And uh, at the very end of the concert, pe- the people were streaming out and in, totally impromptu, without any kind of nudge, the crowd just started singing Don't Look Back in Anger, that kind of famous Manchester song from Oasis. And it was just so bonding. People were singing these words. Even those who didn't know the words went, don't look back, because you wanted to take part in this corporate act, this corporate activity. So we all enjoy a good sing-song to get the kind of juices flowing. And the Psalms um, are special for many people, whether they're in church or whether or not. And I've always loved the Psalms. Maybe it's because um, I've had a background in worship leading. um, But particularly during my sabbatical, I took an interest in them. Now, how many people have read all 150 Psalms? Great. Well done, you. And don't worry, I'm not going to go, well done them, not so good everyone else. That's not, I haven't, I've started to read all of them many times, okay? I've done really well, I've got quite far into them and, and then didn't. But during my sabbatical, I thought, I want to really get to grips with these. So I'd committed myself to write kind of a, a, a reflection, a thought about each one as we go along. And I have finished the, the first book of Psalms, and they're here. Thanks to the wondrous typing of Ella, because I really couldn't be typing it. If anyone wants these, I've been told to tell people that I've done this, because I'm a bit scared that they're a bit rubbish. Um, if you want them, come and speak to me. But anyway, so after the people who've nagged me about it, they're upset at now. so quickly move on. Anyway, a little bit of background about these soul songs. Okay, the Psalms, a little bit of background. They, they're part of a part of Scripture called the Ketuvim, the writings that include Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations. But the actual Hebrew word for Psalms is Tehillim, songs of praise. Immediately we're transported to Sunday evenings, BBC One, aren't we? Songs of praise. Now keep that in mind, that that's what all this book is about. 150 or maybe 151, depending on which um, Masoretic text you look at, some of the Old Testament, some of the Hebrew scriptures have 151. Originally, there was only 147, because there are some repeats. Um, psalm 14 and Psalm 100 and, and, sorry, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are the same psalm. And actually, some psalms were split up. Psalm 9 and 10 originally were one psalm, as were Psalm 42 and, verse, psalm 42 and 43. Each have been composed individually with their own integral meaning, but they're not just randomly collected. They were composed pre exile before Israel went into exile in Babylon, and they were collated when they came back during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. And the authors, well, we know that, but the Psalms of David, uh, many of them are associated with, with David. We have no reason not to believe that they are. Written by David himself, but certainly associated parts of his story. But also, there were authors called Asaph, who was one of the worship leaders of the temple. And there are the sons of Korah, who were like a worship team, I suppose. Sounds like a proper Christian band, doesn't it? Solomon was also a writer, and then the master of the universe, He-Man. I don't think it was the blonde-haired guy with the sword, okay? But it makes me chuckle just to think it was. Um, Ethan... Ezraites, and Moses has even got one. They were collected and compiled into five books. And there is a coherent theme going out through all of them. Each of the five books end with a doxology, a similar doxology. And they're called the second temple hymn book, where the temple was rebuilt after the exile. It was the hymn book that was used. In other words, it was, just like we have here, only we have on a um, projector, our song lyrics that we sing. We sing them on our own, we sing them together. People use them individually and corporately. And there were different types of psalms. And a a guy with a great name called Herman Gunkel um, classified the psalms. And he came up with different ones. And there were psalms of hymns of praise. There are songs of trust. There are royal songs about the king. There are teaching and wisdom songs. And then we have laments. I love the fact that Bernard said we're doing laments. And you could feel the temperature drop in the room. (sighs) Really? And I've told a few people as they said, well, what's the sermon about this week? We've enjoyed the Jesus series. What is it? It's about laments. Oh. (sighs) Great. Laments. The interesting thing is there are over 60 laments out of 150. Over a third, almost a half of the songs of praise are songs of lament, of crying out. So I'm guessing there's a sense That This is important. So I've got a question to ask you. When was the last time you cried? I know the last time I really cried. A few weeks ago, I went to watch The Shack. Has anyone read the book or seen the movie? And now I know there are some divisions about some of the theology in it. I think it asked some brilliant questions. I went to see the movie. I leaked for two hours. (laughs) <laughs> it was so bad there's one particular moment in the movie that really touches me i'll not spoil it for you but i was crying so much that my son reuben took my hand and held it for me <laughs> <laughs> this is so beautiful come on dad but people who know me know i cry i'm a leaker i am really i'm one of those people but when i say when was the last time you cried oh i don't do that I'm a bloke. Blocks don't cry. Or, I don't do that. I'm English. (laughs) Or, I don't do that. I'm not a very emotional person. Everybody cries. Everybody. And the reason I know that is because there are different types of crying. There are different types of tears. There's the first type. This is fascinating. If you're not interested, turn off, come back on again in a minute. There are basal tears, and they're the tears that you cry all the time. They're the ones that keep your eye moist so you can, it can function properly. They're the ones that when you open the oven door and the blast of heat dries them out, you go, ow, and then they, they moisten up again. They're the basal tears. We need those, and we're crying all the time. Interesting that, isn't it? Then there's the reflex tears when you get something in your eye, an eyelash, or you get a, a bit of dust in your eye or a plank, as Jesus talked about, or you're Cutting an onion and then this horrible chemical, which has got a really long name, attacks your eye and your eye reacts by flooding it with a completely different type of tear, a different makeup, which has got loads of um, antibodies in it and things, anti-irritants, in order to flush out any potential foreign body. And we're meant to be an accident. Yeah, I think God knew what he was doing. And then the third type is the emotional tear that we're all familiar with. But there are emotional highs, we laugh and we cry, and our hearts are broken and we cry. Emotional highs, emotional lows. This different types of tear prompted an artist called um, Rose Lynn Fisher, and she took tears that were shed from different circumstances, dried them out, and under a microscope took a photograph of the crystal structure. And each different type of tear had a different structure, from tears of grief to tears of change to onion tears. To laughing tears. We need tears. We have a privilege as pastors to walk alongside people in their distress, and quite often we say, "You know, just come to church." And people say, "Do I don't want to come to church? I'll end up crying." I said, "The way things are going, you'll be the only one that isn't crying, because thankfully we are a safe space for you to cry." And so I've said this so many times of late. Not all tears are in evil all tears are an evil. We need tears. In fact, one theory suggests that our emotional tears contain um, a stress hormone. So literally, you are flushing out stress when you cry emotionally. Isn't that phenomenal? No wonder that sometimes after a really good cry, you feel a little bit better, a bit elated, because you've released some of this stress. It's almost like God had a plan in mind. And as Bernard said, choosing songs to worship with these days, even in the the old hymn book for for the 915 service, it's difficult to find songs of lament. We need tears. We need songs and psalms of lament. John Calvin said this about the psalms. I have been wont to call this book, not inappropriately, an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not represented here. The Psalms can say it's okay to feel and to let that feeling out. So we're looking at Psalms of Lament because life is hard sometimes, isn't it? We went to a, um, a parents' evening for one of our our sons, and uh, we met uh, our son's maths teacher, and we were warned beforehand that he's a bit of a character. And so we sat down and we went so how's he doing? And in his dulcet Welsh tone, he went, life is hard. (laughs) Life is hard. Is this philosophy? (laughs) And he went, he was just trying to get across that actually there was a lot of pressure on them working really hard, but I just thought, what an amazing statement. Life is hard. And it is, isn't it? Why are we surprised? Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, God said, you're going to labor and toil. There'll be thistles and thorns. It's going to be tough. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So why pretend that life's a breeze? Because Jesus said it isn't. Life is hard. (laughs) But our songs don't represent that so often. So we're looking at the song's of lament. Now, this is going to be slightly interactive. Now you'll have something to lament about. Uh, I'm going to ask these guys, if you don't mind just passing these out while I continue talking. Um, I'm going to ask you at some point, um, maybe during this you might want to take some notes with these or you might want to um, start writing. I'd like you to write your own lament as we go through this will Be time um, after the sermon to, uh, in in response, to write your own uh, Psalm of Lament. There are pens here, please, kind of, someone distributed them, that'd be great. But we're going to look at the structure of the Psalms of Lament because the same elements occur quite regularly within the different Psalms of Lament. All different, all 60 of them have some of these, maybe not in the same order sometimes throughout them. And so you'll have these bits of paper that go through. If we run out, we've got some more here that need cutting. And I'm sure my wonderful assistants will be able to do that for us. The first thing in every psalm is that there's an address. Psalm 13 is the one that we're going to be using as a kind of a touchstone psalm. But a number of psalms, Psalm 6 says, O Lord, Psalm 10 says, why, O God? Psalm 12, help Lord, Psalm 13, how long, Lord? And Psalm 22, so familiar, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are not just moans and groans, these are directed complaints. These are not like a dirge or just a moaning and a groaning. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. Whenever they didn't have food, they didn't have what they wanted, and life was hard. they were wandering around. They moaned to each other. They grumbled about God behind his back. Don't think it had clicked on them that he could hear. Uh, they moaned and they groaned to one another. It got nowhere. The psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist speaks directly to God. Crying, not crying out into the wind or screaming to the impersonal universe or the fates. This is the psalmist speaking directly to God. We can cry to someone, and we can cry to someone who might be able to do something about it. And it's based within a relationship. My God, my Lord, our God, our Lord, hear us. There's an address. But this is more than just a dear God beginning of a prayer. This in itself is a statement of faith. This is a statement of faith in the midst of adversity, a positioning of humble powerlessness. We can cry out to the one who says he is omnipotent, who can do all things, who is all loving, who is good, who is our father. Our lamenting occurs within a relationship with someone who cares. That's the first port of call in our Psalms of Lament. But so often in our prayers, we jump from the address to part three. And part three is the petition, what you're asking for. We'll get to that in a minute. Because we miss part two. And this is really important. Part two is the complaint. It's setting out the problem in Psalm 13. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day I'm in sorrow. Why is my enemy triumphing over me? Complaining before God this is what's wrong, this is what's unjust, and this is what I'm feeling about it. Of course, I know that you are not moaners. Are you? At least we've got someone on us going, yes, I am. <laughs> well, how about when you're in that situation where you're in a restaurant, and you're, the meal's being served, and the food's cold, The cutlery's dirty, the service is slow, the meat is overdone, there's a fly in the water and you're moaning about, this is an appalling restaurant, I can't believe it came here. And for your birthday as well, I blame you, I blame you. And while you're arguing about how awful it is, the waiter comes over and says, is everything okay? And your response is, yeah, it's fine, thanks. (laughs) And they walk away and went, service. We don't like to make a fuss, do we sometimes? Maybe we do at others. You see, the psalmist, that's not what happens with the psalmist here. We see with the psalmist that they are downright direct with God about what's going on. If God is the waiter saying, is everything okay? Then the psalmist says, since you ask, no, it's not. And this is what's wrong. There's Downright anger, quite often in the psalms of lament. Anger, despair, frustration, confusion, indignation, and doubt at others, at enemies, at ourselves, to the psalmist's self. But majorly, these are directed at God. This is anger at what's going on, anger towards God. And the complaint is deeper than it's just not what I like or what I prefer. Here's a little challenge. If you feel aggrieved about something, take it to the Lord in prayer and let him kind of, you know, divulge whether it really is a complaint on his heart. That person's really not me. Take it to the Lord in prayer and let him discern whether it's something you should be worried about. Because this is not about just how I prefer things. This is complaining to God. This is not how things should be. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. They're not how you said they would be or how you want them to be. Psalm 10 says, why do you hide your face? Psalm 13, will you forget me forever? Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Essentially, where are you, God? A modern-day psalm was written For the musical, The Lion King, you might not realize that, but there's a song in a musical called Endless Night, and it's the little lion is calling out to God, to his father, saying, Father, you said you'd be there, but you're not. It resolves towards the end of the psalm, but is that not the heart cry of people, the dark night of the soul? I know I've experienced that. I know a lot of you have. God, where are you? Why do the wicked suffer? Sorry, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the good suffer? Why do you seem to be doing nothing about this situation? Why didn't you stop that tragedy happening? There's a sense of accusing God. Now that seems really heavy, doesn't it? Being angry at God? Accusing God? Are we allowed to? Is this God we're talking about? I really believe that we are. Because I think... God's got a big enough chin to handle our complaints. The Psalms are full of accusations to God, venting our anger and frustration. Jesus does it. My God, why have you forsaken me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries his eyes out and says, God, take this cup away from me. The prophets are full of banging on the door of heaven and saying, God, this isn't right. And if you want to read a good example of it, read the book of Job. It's full of it. It's full of Job complaining to God, so much so that at some point, he's complaining, complaining, and God says, enough now. Now you're starting to damage yourself, and God speaks. We are allowed to come before God and present our complaints, because pain, suffering, tragedy, and evil, they are the consequences of living in a free and fallen world, where most choices in this world go against God's ways. See, pain, suffering, tells us that something is wrong. Something's not right. I'm sure you're familiar with this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, which I highly recommend. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rise a deaf world. This is not running away from pain. And God is not unaware or unaffected by it. I'd encourage you to read the book, The Shack, and wrestle with some of the theology behind it. It's really good for us to stretch our theological muscles. But in the movie, it's a beautiful place where the protagonist, a guy called Mac, whose daughter has been killed, is standing beside God. And he's venting his questions. And he says to God, you abandoned your son on the cross, You've left me, and where were you with Missy? And God, standing beside him with tears streaming down the face, says, I never left him. I never left you. I never left Missy. God is not unaware or unaffected by the reality of our fallen world. We read from the message, earlier on. Um, The message was written by Eugene Peterson, or it was translated um, from the Greek and the Hebrew into a kind of modern vernacular, and a lot of people get a lot from it. And there's a great video on YouTube, I highly recommend you you check it out, where Eugene Peterson spends some time in conversation with Bono from (laughs) U2. It's brilliant. It's a really weird date, isn't it? (laughs) And they're sitting talking about the Psalms. And the thing that comes out of this fascinating movie, this fascinating film, is that the major theme of the Psalms is the need for raw honesty. The poetry and the imagination conjure pictures and metaphors that can just inhabit our pain, our rawness, our honesty. In fact, the challenge is often our art our worship songs, our faith, indeed our worship in general, is tantamount to dishonesty because we hide what we're really feeling before God. Within the songs of lament, we remember that, again, it's within relationship. The psalmist is aware of that and he can get really angry with God, use really visceral language, heart-rending despair, honest wrestling and frankly not being very nice to God. Now remember, psychologists have affirmed for many years this truth that if you bury your emotions, they will keep on building up and they will explode somewhere. They will always come out in some way, whether it's psychosomatic illness or an explosion of temper or whatever, they will come out somewhere. So God invites us to bring these emotions to him. Have you ever felt angry, disappointed, hurt, abandoned, Betrayed, conspired against, vulnerable and raw before or towards God. If you have, tell him. I'll tell you why. He already knows. (laughs) He knows. And he invites you to bring them to him. Because life is hard, isn't it? St. Teresa And one particular lament to God said, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you don't have many of them. It's the reality we can present before God. Tell him, note, however, feeling may not be necessarily the reality of the situation, but the feelings are real in themselves. And the thing is, Jesus said this. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, the ones that the Father is seeking, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That Greek word is aletheia for truth. And aletheia can be translated as reality. God wants us to be real with him, to have our raw and honest feelings. The the Psalms of Lament, there are about 60 of them, the majority are individual Psalms of Lament, of individual complaint, but a number of them are communal, where they take the the place of the nation, of the community, and I can imagine we live in a very well-established, we live in Skipton, it's very nice, It's, it's relatively prosperous, lovely Dales, so you can imagine someone who's living in Aleppo going, well, what have you got to cry about? We might go, yeah, fair play. Actually, we've got an awful lot to cry about. Because we have a responsibility to cry on behalf of the people of Aleppo, of Manchester. Cry with someone. These words, empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Lisa spoke about Jesus' compassion a few weeks ago. Compassion means to suffer with. Sympathy and empathy, to feel alongside or to feel the same as, to feel with. We are called to feel the pain of other people. And the Psalms of Lament, especially the communal ones, Help us to enter into another person's pain, to feel that pain, to understand that pain. Someone once said one of the biggest problems with our society at the moment is that we suffer from compassion fatigue or we've had sensory overload. How many news items are there out there that are just overwhelmingly sad that we almost get anesthetized to tragedy and we get touched a little bit, but then we move on to the next thing. And God calls us to dwell within the pain often. Because he is continuing to weep. There's a worship song that we sing here, which I love and loathe in equal measure a certain phrase in it. And it's this, because I find it really hard to sing and to pray. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. I think that's a dangerous prayer to really mean. Because God's heart is broken over this world. When we hear news reports Which are bombarding us when we hear tragedy from friends and family. God's heart breaks. Break my heart for what breaks yours. We have a corporate community compassion. And although we may not be directly affected, The Psalms of lament help us to enter into pain. Remember, 1 Corinthians talked about the body of Christ and said, if one part suffers, every part suffers. We are the body of Christ on this earth. So if our brothers and sisters in Egypt are suffering, we suffer and we have the right to stand there and and mourn with them and feel their pain and enter their pain and complain about their pain. In fact, I think God calls us to do that. So we've had the address, we've had the the complaint, and then we move on to the next one, the demand. Sort it out, God. Psalm 13 says, look at me and answer me, God. Give light to my eyes. Psalm 22 says, don't be far from me, rescue me. Psalm 44 says, God, wake up and pay attention. Psalm 142 says, deliver me, God. These are not polite petitions. Now, has anyone ever used the phrase, I want doesn't get. Go on, own up. Who's used the phrase, I want doesn't get? Who's ever been exposed to the phrase, I want doesn't get? And you fell for it. You kind of want, that doesn't make sense. I want, well, I want something. but well, you're not going to get it. So I will get something that I don't want. I don't want that new car. Okay, then you can, have, no, it doesn't work that way. Or you ask for something and the response is, Say please ask nicely, and then you might get it. And that's how we treat prayer, don't we? Dear God, if you don't mind, if you're not too busy, can I possibly, if you can fit it in, if you don't mind remembering I'm not that bad a person, could you possibly maybe see your way through too? That's not what the psalmist does. He demands. He says, God, it's time to sort it out. Do something about it. Grenfell Tower tragedy a few weeks ago was absolutely horrible. And what we saw in response to that were protests from people going around demanding justice and saying, do something about this. Now, it would have been ridiculous for them to have just gone into a local shop to the news agent and gone, right, do something about it. And he goes, I just sell newspapers. (laughs) Instead, they say to the government, do something about it because they can do something about it. And so can the council and so can the property developers. They may not, but they can. And so that's what happens with the psalmist. The psalmist cries out with raw desperation and an acute awareness of helplessness, saying with direct demands, fix things, God. Make things right. Get me through this. Show up, sort it out. Make things how they should be because we need you and you can do it. It's the desperate cry of someone, to another person to do something It only makes sense if the person can. And so this petition, this demand, has to be built into a sense of raw faith. There's an expectation that I will demand this of God, and God can and prayerfully will do something about it. Based on his character, based on his kingdom, and that he is ultimately the provider of hope. During the slave trade, a lot of slaves would have thought it was ridiculous to pray that God would end the slave trade. In the slums of 19th century Britain, people living there would have thought, "Well, what's the point in saying God sort this out because he's not going to do it. How? It's too big a problem. That's not going to happen." What about the fall of communism in East Berlin? God, will you will you sort this out? It's a ridiculous prayer to pray. I I was astounded by a photograph of Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley sitting beside each other, laughing at a joke, and becoming really good friends because that is a prayer answered, and it was a ridiculous prayer in the 1980s. And what about those who suffer from apartheid? God, will you come and sort this out? All ridiculous expectations, and yet God could and did something about them. Sometimes it's not just about the now about, as we've done in our series on Revelation about eternity. And so we have the slave um, plantations in America, and where we have spiritual songs which talk about, even in the burden of slavery, their hope of freedom in heaven before the Lord. Sorted out God. These are statements and demands based on expectant faith. But where does this faith come from? It comes from the last two parts of the Psalm of Lament. Trust and praise. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing unto the Lord. A lament generally includes at some point an expression of trust that often leads to a release of praise. Now, there may be a sense of, whew, I've got that off my chest. I feel better now. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. There may be a bit of that. I think there's something more viscerally real. Because these sound really jarring to the ear when you hear Psalm 13. God, what are you doing? Abandoning me. I feel rubbish. My enemies are coming against me. I'm feeling awful. But even so, I will praise the Lord. It, does, it feels like it's copy and paste. It's gone wrong. It's like, ah, I'm really angry. Now the time to sing, Jesus loves me this, I know. <laughs> That's not got integrity. That's not got honesty in it. It's not praise the Lord anyway, everything will be fine. It's not wishful thinking. It's but, it's even so. It's yet will I and I will still present a sacrifice of praise because sometimes praise is painful. Sometimes we need to praise through gritted teeth. We need to worship through gritted teeth. And I think and I wonder about this, that this is sometimes a more pure form of honest worship. When we worship through our pain, through gritted teeth. Even so, I will praise God. Even though I'm in the shadow of the valley of death. I will fear no evil. I will praise you through gritted teeth. This is a bigger, more pure and honest worship. Because it's a reflection of a bigger faith. We can believe that God can heal. That takes a certain amount of faith. I've said this before. But we can... When healing doesn't happen and we can still attest to God's goodness and faithfulness and our reliance upon him, that's a bigger, that's a raw faith. Because we have a choice to worship. For he has been good to me. That's where it comes from. Psalm 77 is really great for this. Verses 10 to 12. How can we sing psalms of praise in the midst of tragedy? It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. We remember the works of God through scripture, through the fact that we have a cross, the scene of desolation, which turns into a scene of victorious resurrection, that we have the stories of the saints in the New Testament and the stories of saints of old. And we have the stories of saints who we are with in the the seats today. That's why we want to encourage testimony because the stories of God says, Stories of saints say, God has done this. And we look back to see what God has done in our lives and we say, because of that, I will trust you. I love this, this prayer from the Northumbria's community's evening prayer. Lord, you have always given strength for the coming day. And though I am weak, today I believe. Though I am weak, today I choose to believe. There's a need to rediscover lament, intercession, honest worship, and raw faith. Matt Redman wrote this. The truth is the church of God needs her songs of lament just as much as she needs her songs of victory. He was in America not long after the events of 9-11. He was astounded by the number of people who had started going to church in response to that tragedy, trying to seek some meaning, some purpose, crying out to God. And he realized there wasn't enough songs of lament. So he wrote a song called, Blessed Be Your Name. And it says, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. Blessed be your name in the roadmark of suffering. You give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. Praise through gritted teeth. We need to rediscover lament because our world needs it. Remembering that within lament, that happens within a context of relationship. An invitation from God to us to be honest, to feel, to engage our hearts, to cry out for action. And it's built on trust and faith that God is who he says he is, who he said he always has been. And then maybe we can praise through gritted teeth, even in the midst of darkness. We need to rediscover lament. We are going to worship again. The uh, Bernard and the team are going to play some music in the background. I'm going to ask you if you have a piece of paper that has those letters on it to write. Can we have the PowerPoint back up, please, Richard? To write your psalm of lament, which I'd love it if you were if you were willing to share. That would be great as we do our our time of. of. as we have a time of intercession, that our intercession is led by you and our prayers of lament. If you want to, the prayer team will be up at the front as well. If you just want someone to pray with you, to lament with you, that's fine. But Remember, we, we address God. So write an address to God that you would use. Enter into the complaint. It may be something to do with the world, a question that you have, that God gives you permission to ask. Then a demand of God to do something about it. Then a statement of trust. And then even if it's through gritted teeth, a statement of praise. And even so, I will still, even though, statement. So there's gonna be some worship. If you don't wanna do this, it's fine. Just sing along or just listen. If you want to write, that'll be great. If you can indicate to me when you're done, if you'd like to share, that'll be amazing. And we will use these as our prayers of lament. So let us praise God.